0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Thank you, worship band, and thank you, Hannah for just making that space for us felt so appropriate. And we really don't even want to let go of that much this morning. That just feels like this is why we're here. This is what we came to do. And um, just so appreciate having a band and worship leaders who can make room for us to say the things we need to say and make room for us to sing the things we don't know we needed to sing until we showed up to church. So it's a real gift, real gift. Um, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to sort of continue what we've been talking about, and then I want to take a hard right turn, um, because we just have to, and hopefully this will all come together for us a little bit. Uh, Rachel, if you want to, will you put up Romans chapter 5? It's just the scripture that we looked at last week. One of the things we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is just this idea of Christian endurance, um, this thing that keeps coming up in the New Testament over and over again. The word endurance or the word perseverance, it's everywhere in the New Testament. And it's not just with Paul. You will see this in James. You will see this in Paul. You will see this in the book of Hebrews. So it's in all of these places. It's in all of these different writers. It just keeps showing up. And by the way, the message of endurance always has um, some familiar words around it that go with the, the word endurance. Endurance. Uh, one of the words that goes with the word endurance in the New Testament is joy, and the other word that goes with endurance in the New Testament is hardship or trials. These three things go together. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about how we want to be we want to be Christians who have a faith that lasts, you know, and that can go through hardship. And we talked about last week how uh, we have gone through a difficult year, about how we've gone through a pandemic, and we've talked about how... Uh, We've gone through all kinds of trials in the last year. And just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder, it got way worse this week. And so the message seems to be pertinent to who we are. Uh, How do you maintain a faith in hardship? And part of what we talked about last week is, part of what you do to have a faith that endures is, you acknowledge the hardship and you look for the joy at the same time. So Christianity doesn't mean... Or Christianity doesn't require that you go through hardship and pretend like life is not hard. Uh, Christianity doesn't require that you go through difficult times and and you don't name the difficulty. Christianity doesn't require that you pretend. Uh, that isn't real faith. That's that's there's a word for that. It's called fake, right? You know, Christianity doesn't require that every time, single time you meet another believer at the grocery, you tell them that you're blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Uh, That isn't real. Uh, That is completely fake. Uh, It doesn't require that. Because in every single place in the New Testament where the Bible talks about endurance, it talks about hardship right with it. Uh, Paul names his hardships in the New Testament. He lists them out. Like nobody has to fake. It's the great thing about being a Christian. You don't have to fake it. You know, Paul says, I've been beat up. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. And yeah, I've been this way for Jesus. Uh, part of Paul's story is at one point he gets thrown in jail. And by miraculous intervention, he he is pulled out of jail. Like literally the doors just fly open. The next time Paul gets put in jail, guess what doesn't happen? The doors do not fly open. You know, it's like, this is it, y'all. Like, And at the same time, Biblical faith and biblical enduring Christianity has this thing in it that calls us to look for the gold in the middle of the hardship. They often sit next to one another. And so we talked a little bit last week about how, you know, we've come through a pandemic that's been really hard and we're not through it and it's going to last longer than any of us want. And there's been all kinds of hardship. People have closed businesses. People have had to rethink things. People have had to rethink what they rethought. Uh, People have had to keep innovating, uh, everything's gotten more complicated, and at the same time, how many of us acknowledge that there was a lot of good stuff that happened last year, you know? And so if you can put those things together, what you'll end up with is a faith that endures. If you give in to denial on either side, you will end up with a warped faith that will cause you to, at some point, leave Jesus. So we put them together. And so this was the scripture we looked at last week, and I want to start here. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Paul says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We'll just stop there. What a word for us in these moments. What a word. But here's one of the things that I've been thinking about this week. I've been thinking about if you want to have endurance... If you want to have endurance, you have to train for it. In order to endure in anything, it usually requires training. Isn't that right? Think about running. If you wanted to become an endurance runner and run a marathon, it would be wise to train. Amazing insight this morning here at the Vineyard. If you want to run a marathon... You have to train. But here's what I've been thinking about specifically this week. The training has to be specific to the goal. This is actually where it gets really important. And when it comes to marathons, here's what you do. First, you run a little bit. You don't wake up one day with a goal of running marathons and then go run a marathon. You'll die. Or at least you'll think you're going to die. You will stop. I promise you that. But if you want to run a marathon, first thing you do is you get up and run a little bit. Then the next morning, you get up and you run a little bit. And then the next morning, you get up and you run a little bit more than you did those first two mornings. And then on the next morning after that, you're probably so sore you can't move, so you take a day off. And then the next morning after that, what do you do? You run a little bit, and you just keep stretching this thing out until all of a sudden, the person who could barely run down the street has training that has equipped them to run 26 miles. That's how it works. It's training specific to the goal. If you train by lifting heavy weights, you'll get really strong, but you'll never be able to run a marathon. If you pick up a barbell If you pick up a barbell and you deadlift and you deadlift and you deadlift and you can pick up 500 pounds off the floor, how many of you know that person is not to be trifled with? (laughs) That person ain't running a marathon, though, unless they've been putting in some running. The barbell will not help you run a marathon. In fact, it might keep you from running a marathon. The training has to be specific to the goal. And, And here's where I'm going with this. It's the, same, it's the same in our life with Jesus as well. In order to keep the faith and in order to endure, it's important to consider what kind of training we're doing. And here's the real question I wanted to get to this morning. What kind of faith are we hoping to hold on to? Like That's the thing. Like Everybody knows maybe that if we want to have enduring faith, okay, we need to train to have enduring faith. But the question that's under the question is this. What kind of faith are you hoping to hang on to? I'll tell you the answer right up front. It's, it's, it's the character and the power of Jesus. It's the faith of Jesus. It's the substance of Jesus. It's, it's something that looks and smells and feels like Jesus. That's what we want to hang on to. That's what we want to hang on to. Uh, just being right uh, not, not so much. Uh, being, being pious in someone else's eyes, not so much. Having the respect of the community, not so much. Uh, going, having a life that's up and to the right, getting richer and more influential, not so much. But having the faith, the power, and the character and the substance of Jesus—that's what we want to hang on to, and that's a very, very different thing. That's a very different thing. Uh, it takes. It takes it actually being a goal. And I would hope that in this house anyway, that this would be one of our goals, to be people who look like Jesus and then through all circumstances of our life, keep on looking like Jesus, feeling like Jesus, smelling like Jesus, acting like Jesus, having the atmosphere of Jesus around us. That's the real thing. Having an enduring faith, that's not enough. Because you could end up having an enduring wacko faith. Like you could... You could, you could endure an occult. You know? You, you could endure being a crazy person. Or you could endure and at the end of your life become more and more convinced of positions that take you further and fa- further away from the life and the substance and the power and the character and the stickiness and the attractiveness of Jesus. So it's not just... Do we have an enduring faith? But it's like, what is the substance of the faith that we're hanging on to? And I just want to say it's Jesus. Which brings me to this. I'm really sad. I'm really sad. Yeah. Because this week, it's been a shit show. Yeah, that's right. And I vacillated between anger and sadness. But after a really long drive this week, I finally realized that the thing that's sitting underneath all my other feelings is sadness. I mean, everybody in the room knows that on Wednesday, the the Capitol exploded. People protesting the election broke into the Capitol in an attempt to stop the election from being certified. And I just want you to know right now, I am not sad because the election did not go my way. Like, how juvenile. You know? I am not sad because the election did not go my way. I'm sad. I'm sad because violence is so unbecoming. And I'm sad because five people lost their life. Five people. Five people lost their life. I'm sad because so many people went to such extreme measures. And I'm sad because they did so because they believed lies. And here's the reason I'm mostly sad. I'm mostly sad because so many of the people were Christians. I want to put up three pictures for us this morning. Rachel, your choice. Stop. If you ever wanted to know what Christian nationalism looks like, there it is. Go back to the first picture. Second picture, Jesus saves y'all. Third picture, this is a person wrapped in a Trump flag, hold, holding an American flag, bowing for a cross. I'm sad. You can take the pictures down, thank you. I just put those up so, so that everybody online and in the room uh, knows for sure. I'm not making this up, this is real. This is real. The violence that exploded this week, it's heartbreaking. The crowd that broke down the doors, ransacked the buildings, and killed people along the way was filled with people who go to church, call on the name of Jesus, and probably the Sunday before, sang oceans. This is a problem. This is a real problem. I'm sad because there were Confederate flags By the way, Confederate flags are never about heritage. Just want to say this over and over again. It's never about heritage. It's always about white supremacy. It's always about intimidation. Always. I'm sad because there were Confederate flags and there were gallows, actual constructed gallows with nooses, and Nazis intermingled with Christians holding up signs that say, Jesus saves this was an unholy display of what can only be labeled as Christian nationalism. I'm really, really sad that the Venn diagram of hate and racism and violence overlaps with so much of the church. And I know some people in the room are probably thinking, well, what about all the violence that exploded this summer? Like, what about, what about all the crazy stuff that happened in Oregon? Listen, that's crazy, Right? No one here is arguing about that. All violence is not okay. There is no such thing as okay violence. Uh, Destruction is never okay. But the difference between what happened this week and what happened in the summer is that what happened this week is largely backed by the church. That's the difference. And that's why I've been stricken all week. That's why I've been gutted all week. The church, 81% of the evangelical and charismatic church, Aligned with a political party that over the course of four years gave us what we got on Wednesday. That means that in a year where we've had to endure a plague and refiguring every single thing in our lives out again, we've also had to endure the realization that most of the church in the United States has lost the plot. Somehow, like we just lost the plot. We've made right-wing politics the same as the kingdom of heaven. We've listened and believed prophets and leaders who were wrong. They were wrong, and they were dead wrong, and they were wrong in the worst of ways. They were wrong in the worst of ways. And here's the good news. The good news is this, that a few of those prophets and leaders have repented. Good for them. Good for them. But here's what I yet haven't seen. I haven't seen them say why they got it wrong. That's the next thing that has to be said. Not just I got it wrong, but why I got it wrong. And the reason they got it wrong is because the church has overlapped right-wing politics with the kingdom of heaven, and it's not the same. You can be a Democrat. You can be a Republican. The Vineyard has always been a purple church, not just because we have purple chairs, (laughs) but because we have people who live in both extremes. And here's the thing. I'm happy about that. I pray that we're always a purple church, that we're never a red or a blue church, that we're a purple church. But make no mistake, church, make no mistake, Vineyard, right-wing politics are not the kingdom of heaven. Left-wing politics are not the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Jesus is different. The substance of Jesus is really, really different, and you can be a good Republican and end up a bad Christian. And that's what got put on display this week. And here's what it means. it means. It means it's time to repent. It's time to repent of putting our trust in a party or a platform. It's time to swear all of our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. Really. If you're wondering, hey, is Adam a radical? I, let me just put my cards on display right now for you. Adam's a radical. Yeah. And here's, here's how I'm radical. My allegiance is only for Jesus. I will not swear allegiance to any other thing ever, ever. Allegiance for Christians is to Jesus. You know what? Here's the other thing you need to know. I love our country, it's a great place. I've traveled. Here's what I've also found out by traveling it ain't the only great place. The world is great. Here's what I found out. The world is great. And when it comes to allegiance, my allegiance is reserved to Jesus and his kingdom. And if we lose that, then we get the results we have this week. And so because of that, it's time to repent. It's time to swear all of our allegiance to the kingdom of God. Enduring faith is not just a matter of making it through hard times, but asking again, what kind of faith are we living out and what exactly is enduring? And at the end, is it anything like Jesus at all? The sign of the Holy Spirit is not an eagle. It's a dove. Jesus had no influence in Rome. Instead, he had authority in heaven. He was not interested in seven mountains of cultural influence. He wasn't. He had no political friends in Rome. He had no political friends in Rome. Underline that. Take that in. He had no one in Frankfurt on his side. He had no one in Washington on his side. And Jesus didn't care one thing about the seven mountains of cultural influence. Instead, he walked with the weak, the lowly, the outcast, the leper, the lame, women and children, and those who thought they were far off from God. And he preached this message. Blessed are the poor because you're in. And blessed are the peacemakers because you're sons and daughters of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for me because you're in. And blessed and blessed and blessed. And every single time he went through the list of who's blessed, it was people who thought that they were out. No cultural influence. No political power. Not an eagle, a dove. Jesus rode into, into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but a donkey. And Jesus raises no flag. Instead, he is raised from the dead. This is the gospel. The only flag that Jesus has is his own life out of the grave. I've been praying all week, and I only have two scriptures for us this morning. I'll try to make this quick. I want to read a couple of scriptures, and I, I just want to ask you to notice these two things. Notice what Jesus is saying, "Let go of." and I want you to notice what Jesus is saying to lay hold of. It's very important. Matthew chapter 26. Thanks, Rachel. This is when Jesus is about to get arrested. He's been betrayed by Judas. Jesus says this. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. By the way, people love making money off Jesus. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. The others being like the temple priests and the Roman authority. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword. Who is that man? Peter. We know this from Luke and from John that the man is Peter. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and he struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. The high priest's slave, his name was Malchus. Look at what Jesus says. He says to Peter, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? What is Jesus saying let go of? Now let's look at what Jesus says to lay hold of. Jesus again with his disciples. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what, what, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What is Jesus saying to let go of? And what is Jesus saying to lay hold of? Here's what I want to say. As we start thinking about having an enduring faith and starting a new year, and as we think about training for endurance, and as we think about what kind of faith we're hoping would endure in our lives, we need to consider these scriptures that we've just read. And we need to take Jesus seriously, and we need to put down the sword, and we need to pick up the cross. And really quickly, I want to talk to you for a moment about what that means. Here's what it means to put down the sword. It means to forever lay down violence and force and fear and coercion as a means to get people to do what we think they ought to do. Now, the world can do that, but Christians can't. The world can do all kinds of things, but Christians can't. When Jesus says, says, lay down the sword, he's saying, Think about what swords mean. Like, you, you swing a sword to, like, make people do something, right? And you, you want to make them do it for fear. Like, so when Jesus says, put down the sword, he's saying, like, put down all fear tactics. Put down violence. Put down coercion. Put down force. If you live by it, you'll die by it. When Jesus says, put down the sword, he says, put down, put down feeling like Jesus needs our defense. Like Peter jumps up, he's going he's to protect Jesus, cuts off Malchus's ear. Uh, we know this from the Gospel of Luke. What does Jesus do? Picks up that ear and puts it right back on, right? Uh, part of what Jesus is saying is lay down violence. The other thing Jesus is saying is I don't need your defense. No one has to defend Jesus uh, the third thing that Jesus says when he says put down the sword is lay down the instruments of empire. Like the things, the things that our government uses to control or to coerce, these are not the things for the church. Lay down the tactics of brut- brutality. Uh, lay down the thought that Christians would fight fire with fire. Can I tell you something? You'll never win the culture war by fighting fire with fire. That's not what we do. That's not how Christians roll. Jesus says, lay down those, th- those thoughts. Just lay it all down. Because here's why. It's actually in the story. When we, when the, when we the church, when we, engage, when we engage in using the sword, we just end up cutting the ears off people who need the, to hear the words of good news. If you use violence, if you use force, if you use coercion, if you use uh, the thought that we need to fight fire with fire or if your action is rooted in we need to defend the faith or Jesus or any of these things, all we do is we become Peter and we cut off Malchus's ear who needs that ear in order to hear the good news of the gospel. That's why Jesus heals him. Instead, Jesus says, pick up your cross Here's what that means. It means pick up what looks like losing. It means this. It means pick up the way of Jesus. Jesus who could have called down legions of angels but chose not to. Pick up what looks looks and feels like weakness. Like the very things in our life that feel and look like weakness. Jesus says pick those things up. Not only that. But pick up what looks and often feels like, like pain, the painful things in your life. Jesus is actually saying, like, pick that up. Like, the, that, this is a place where, where good things can break through. This is, a, this is a place where resurrection can break out. Pick those things up. Pick up the things that are costly. Jesus is saying, lay down your life. And there's that wonderful promise that we read on the mouth of Jesus, do you believe him This morning, that wonderful promise that if you lose your life for him, you will what? Save it. But if you try to save your life, you will lose it. Paul says in Philippians that because Jesus laid down his life, that God raised him up and gave him the name above every name. In the kingdom of heaven... Influence is not up and to the right. Instead, influence is down, down, down. And here's what that means in this modern world. This isn't a total list. Here's just a few. You could add some to it later. If you want influence in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to pick up your cross, if you want to lose your life and thereby save it, if you want to pick up things that look or feel weak or sometimes are painful. Here are some ways that we can do that. Number one, if you make time for children in your life in any way, that doesn't seem obvious, but it was really important. I've, I've been so struck by the in the Gospels that like uh, children are attracted to Jesus and the disciples, they want what? Oh, get those kids away from Jesus, right? He's got important things to do. But Jesus says, Oh, you gotta let them come to me. One way that you can actually pick up your cross in your own life is to make room for children. And I know we oftentimes think that, like, this world has made a lot of children. You'll even hear some people say that the world's made too much of children. I just want to tell you that according to the kingdom of heaven, we haven't made yet enough of children. And and one of the places that that people uh, oftentimes feel uh, the the most excluded are, are in, in terms of like children. The, the most abused people in our society oftentimes are the, are, are the weakest. And the weakest among us are almost always the really old and the really young. Like if you want to pick up your cross, if you want to, if you want to do something with your wife, life that feels weak but is actually the way of Jesus, make room for children in any way. And this is why, this is why school teachers are doing something so much bigger than anyone knows. Like, this is a very big deal. Like, our, our city is filled with children who do not have homes that are okay. And, you know, if they can go to a classroom where there's a teacher who will not just educate them, but make a space that's, like, safe and where it's, like, people are affirmed and, and loved, and they can feel the Father heart of God. I just want to tell you, like, that that's not a small thing. We could actually, like, enter into the kingdom of heaven, and that's way more valuable than, like, having the ear of a president. Make room for children in any way. Uh, here's the second way that you can pick up your cross and live for other people. Uh, if you listen to people of color, comma, and believe their stories. You know, this is a really important thing. And this is something that God is not going to let the church off on. This is something that, that is happening this year in America. It's going to keep happening, and we need to welcome We need to welcome these stories. We need to welcome these relationships. But God is dealing with America's original sin, which is racism. Uh, If you want to lean into the life that is actually real living and looks and feels and smells and has the atmosphere of Jesus, listen to people of color and believe their stories. Like, end of story. Like, Talk to your friends who are people of color and just just listen for what they're saying and begin to believe them. Number three, if you want to pick up your cross and live the Jesus way, make space for the elderly and the sick. This is really not fun. You know? It is not fun to deal with elderly parents. It is not fun to to deal with uh, the sick and the dying. It is not fun uh, to, to have to care for people as the, the strength is leaving their body. And lots of people in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. And I, I just want to tell you, if you're there, uh, I just want to tell you this. If you are there, you are doing the sacred work of Jesus. And to show kindness to someone who just can't really take care of themselves anymore, this is the work of Jesus. Jesus. And here's the other part about taking care of the sick, the dying, and the elderly. Nobody will give you a hand clap. You know, you won't get a standing ovation. If you help someone die well, or if you just help your mom and dad, like, have a little fun or figure out what they enjoy, uh, listen, no one will give you a hand clap, but God sees. This is one of the practical ways that you can pick up your cross. Make some space for the elderly and make some space for the sick. Here's another way. This one is so hard, but it is essential. If you, if you, if you visit prisoners or people who are in jail... And I'll just confess, I haven't done that enough, but I've done it a few times, and every time there's something in the jail that's haunting. People in isolation, again, you won't get a hand clap, like, If you serve people in isolation, you will not get a hand clap. But God knows. Another way to pick up your cross and follow Jesus is to serve the poor. Like in any way. Any way you can. I mean, like every month we receive the least of these offerings. Like that would be the very first and like easiest way to even begin to do that. But like, guys, it's so important Andrew gets only 187,000 calls a week. Like, you know, it's here, like to serve the poor. Part of Jesus' ministry is that he, he made food for the hungry. And, and, and he did that, I mean, as a sign because, like, that, that whole miracle was a lot of things. It was like, it's really a sign about people who are spiritually hungry. But, but sometimes you have to give people bread and fish so that they can stay and get their souls nourished, right? Like, so Jesus isn't just someone who cares about the soul, but he cares about the body. Care for the poor. These are things that Christians do. Christians don't storm capitals. They, they, they care for the poor. They visit the prisoner. Uh, Christians don't storm capitals. They, they take care of the elderly and the sick. Uh, Christians, Christians don't incite violence and 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 get caught up in political atmospheres. Christians take care of the of of children who have no one else. This is what Christians do. Like, how did we get so far away from Jesus? Like, how did that happen? If you do these things, I want to tell you something. The, The world will largely ignore you. But you will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Great. You will be great in the kingdom of heaven. The things that the world ignores will make you great in the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to share some good news for you this morning. The good news is this. We can all change our minds. Everybody can change their minds. No one has to leave the room thinking and believing what they did before they came in. No one has to leave here today exactly the same. Uh, This is the brilliant and beautiful part of being a Christian. Like Christians, Christians become Christians by changing their mind. By the way, there's a word for that. It's called repentance, right? I want to put one more scripture on the screen for us this morning. This was Jesus' opening sermon in the Gospel of Mark. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent from your sins and believe the good news. Here's here's what the word repent means. It just means change your mind. That's literally all it means. If you were to expand it a little bit, it means something like this. Based upon new and superior information, change the way you think. There it is. The good news is that for everybody who's here, for everybody who's watching online, and for everybody who's around the world in the global church, the good news is we don't have to keep doing what we've done. And even if we've gotten really far away from God in some areas, we don't have to, we don't have to stay there. Uh, we can change our mind. We can repent and we can, we can come back to the Father. We can come back to Jesus. And here's the good, good, good news. Not only is it good news that we can change our mind, but the best news is that when you do, God will not forsake you. And he doesn't hold it against you. Paul says, uh, Paul says in the letter of Corinthians, he says, we've been given this wonderful ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. And he uses this awesome phrase. He says, uh, we get to declare that God is no longer holding men's sins against them. That's the actual good news. The good news is we can change our minds. And when we do, God will not hold it against us. That's the good news. That's the good news. But there's never good news until we face the bad news. And so that's what day is, and that's what it's been about. And that's why there's actually an opportunity for freedom here for us. So, Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us? Lord, we don't want to just have an enduring faith that ends up looking nothing like you. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. God, we don't want to just be transformed into good Democrats or good Republicans. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like the Son of God who lays down his life. God, we don't want to be like Peter who uses a sword. We want to be like Jesus who heals ears. Would you help us? Would you help us? Hannah, Matt, the band, why don't you guys come up? We we need to end with some singing. I've cried too much. And since we're on the theme of repentance, I just want to say I'm sorry for using a cuss word. <laughs> I actually am sorry. Somebody out front here just gave gave me forgiveness. (laughs) Absolution is mine. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing this morning. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.